Section 7 of Myths Every Child Should Know. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Myths Every Child Should Know. Edited by Hamilton Wright Mabby. Section 7. The Chimera, Part 2. One morning the child spoke to Bellerophon even more hopefully than usual. Dear, dear Bellerophon, cried he, I know not why it is, but I feel as if we should certainly see Pegasus to-day. In all that day he would not stir a step from Bellerophon's side, so they ate a crust of bread together and drank some of the water of the fountain. In the afternoon there they sat, and Bellerophon had thrown his arm around the child, who likewise had put one of his little hands into Bellerophon's. The latter was lost in his own thoughts, and was fixing his eyes vacantly on the trunks of the trees that overshadowed the fountain, and on the grapevines that clambered up among their branches. But the gentle child was gazing down into the water. He was grieved, for Bellerophon's sake, that the hope of another day should be deceived, like so many before it, and two or three quiet tear-drops fell from his eyes, and mingled with what were said to be the many tears of Perini when she wept for her slain children. But when he least thought of it, Bellerophon felt the pressure of the child's little hand, and heard a soft, almost breathless whisper, See there, dear Bellerophon, there is an image in the water. The young man looked down into the dimpling mirror of the fountain, and saw what he took to be the reflection of a bird, which seemed to be flying at a great height in the air, with a gleam of sunshine on its snowy or silvery wings. What a splendid bird it must be, said he, and how very large it looks, though it must really be flying higher than the clouds. It makes me tremble, whispered the child. I am afraid to look up into the air. It is very beautiful, and yet I dare only look at its image in the water. Dear Bellerophon, do you not see that it is no bird? It is the winged horse, Pegasus. Bellerophon's heart began to throb. He gazed keenly upward, but could not see the winged creature, whether bird or horse, because just then it had plunged into the fleecy depths of a summer cloud. It was but a moment, however, before the object reappeared, sinking lightly down out of the cloud although still at a vast distance from the earth. Bellerophon caught the child in his arms and shrank back with him, so that they were both hidden among the thick shrubbery which grew all around the fountain. Not that he was afraid of any harm, but he dreaded, lest, if Pegasus caught a glimpse of them, he would fly far away and alight in some inaccessible mountain-top for it was really the winged horse. After they had expected him so long, he was coming to quench his thirst with the water of Perini. 
nearer and nearer came the aerial wonder flying in great circles as you may have seen a dove when about to alight downward came pegasus in those wide sweeping circles which grew narrower and narrower still as he gradually approached the earth the nigher the view of him the more beautiful he was and the more marvellous the sweep of his silvery wings at last with so light a pressure as hardly to bend the grass about the fountain or imprint a hoof tramp in the sand of its margin he alighted and stooping his wild head began to drink he drew in the water with long and pleasant sighs and tranquil pauses of enjoyment and then another draught and another and another for nowhere in the world or up among the clouds did pegasus love any water as he loved this of perini and when his thirst was slaked he cropped a few of the honey blossoms of the clover delicately tasting them but not caring to make a hearty meal because the herbage just beneath the clouds on the lofty sides of mount helicon suited his palate better than this ordinary grass after thus drinking to his heart's content and in his dainty fashion condescending to take a little food the winged horse began to caper to and fro and dance as it were out of mere idleness and sport there never was a more playful creature made than this very pegasus so there he frisked in a way that it delights me to think about fluttering his great wings as lightly as ever did a linnet and running little races half on earth and half in air and which i know not whether to call a flight or a gallop when a creature is perfectly able to fly he sometimes chooses to run just for the pastime of the thing and so did pegasus although it cost him some little trouble to keep his hoofs so near the ground bellerophon meanwhile holding the child's hand peeped forth from the shrubbery and thought that never was any sight so beautiful as this nor ever a horse's eyes so wild and spirited as those of pegasus it seemed a sin to think of bridling him and riding on his back once or twice pegasus stopped and snuffed the air pricking up his ears tossing his head and turning it on all sides as if he partly suspected some mischief or other seeing nothing however and hearing no sound he soon began his antics again at length not that he was weary but only idle and luxurious pegasus folded his wings and lay down on the soft green turf but being too full of aerial life to remain quiet for many moments together he soon rolled over on his back with his four slender legs in the air it was beautiful to see him this one solitary creature whose mate had never been created but who needed no companion and living a great many hundred years was as happy as the centuries were long the more he did such things as mortal horses are accustomed to do the less earthly and the more wonderful he seemed 
Bellerophon and the child almost held their breaths, partly from a delightful awe, but still more because they dreaded lest the slightest stir or murmur should send him up with the speed of an arrow flight into the farthest blue of the sky. Finally, when he had had enough of rolling over and over, Pegasus turned himself about, and indolently, like any other horse, put out his forelegs in order to rise from the ground, and Bellerophon, who had guessed that he would do so, darted suddenly from the thicket and leaped astride of his back. Yes, there he sat on the back of the winged horse. But what a bound did Pegasus make when, for the first time, he felt the weight of a mortal man upon his loins, a bound indeed. Before he had time to draw a breath, Bellerophon found himself five hundred feet aloft and still shooting upward, while the winged horse snorted and trembled with terror and anger. Upward he went, up, 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 until he plunged into the cold, misty bosom of a cloud at which, only a little while before, Bellerophon had been gazing, and fancying it a very pleasant spot. Then again, out of the heart of the cloud, Pegasus shot down like a thunderbolt, as if he meant to dash both himself and his rider headlong against a rock. Then he went through about a thousand of the wildest caprioles that had ever been performed, either by a bird or a horse. I cannot tell you half that he did. He skimmed straight forward and sideways and backward. He reared himself erect with his forelegs on a wreath of mist and his hind legs on nothing at all. He flung out his heels behind and put down his head between his legs with his wings pointing right upward. At about two miles height above the earth he turned a somerset, so that Bellerophon's heels were where his head should have been, and he seemed to look down into the sky instead of up. He twisted his head about, and looking Bellerophon in the face, with fire flashing from his eyes, made a terrible attempt to bite him. He fluttered his pinions so wildly that one of the silver feathers was shaken out, and floating earthward, was picked up by the child, who kept it as long as he lived, in memory of Pegasus and Bellerophon. But the latter, who, as you may judge, was as good a horseman as ever galloped, had been watching his opportunity, and at last clapped the golden bit of the enchanted bridle between the winged steed's jaws. No sooner was this done than Pegasus became as manageable as if he had taken food all his life out of Bellerophon's hand. To speak what I really feel, it was almost a sadness to see so wild a creature grow suddenly so tame. And Pegasus seemed to feel it so likewise. He looked round to Bellerophon, with the tears in his beautiful eyes, instead of the fire that so recently flashed from them. But when Bellerophon patted his head, and spoke a few authoritative, yet kind and soothing words, another look came into the eyes of Pegasus, 
for he was glad at heart, after so many lonely centuries, to have found a companion and a master. Thus it always is with winged horses, and with all such wild and solitary creatures. If you can catch and overcome them, it is the surest way to win their love. While Pegasus had been doing his utmost to shake Bellerophon off his back, he had flown a very long distance, and they had come within sight of a lofty mountain by the time the bit was in his mouth. Bellerophon had seen this mountain before, and knew it to be Helicon, on the summit of which was the winged horse's abode. Thither, after looking gently into his rider's face as if to ask leave, Pegasus now flew, and alighting, waited patiently until Bellerophon should please to dismount. The young man accordingly leaped from his steed's back, but still held him fast by the bridle. Meeting his eyes, however, he was so affected by the gentleness of his aspect, and by the thought of the free life which Pegasus had heretofore lived, that he could not bear to keep him a prisoner, if he really desired his liberty. Obeying this generous impulse, he slipped the enchanted bridle off the head of Pegasus, and took the bit from his mouth. Leave me, Pegasus, said he. Either leave me or love me. In an instant the winged horse shot almost out of sight, soaring upward from the summit of Mount Helicon. Being long after sunset, it was now twilight on the mountain top, and dusky evening over all the country round about. But Pegasus flew so high that he overtook the departed day and was bathed in the upper radiance of the sun. Ascending higher and higher, he looked like a bright speck, and at last could no longer be seen in the hollow waste of the sky. And Bellerophon was afraid that he should never behold him more. But while he was lamenting his own folly, the bright speck reappeared and drew nearer and nearer, until it descended lower than the sunshine, and behold, Pegasus had come back. After this trial there was no more fear of the winged horses making his escape. He and Bellerophon were friends, and put loving faith in one another. That night they lay down and slept together, with Bellerophon's arm about the neck of Pegasus, not as a caution, but for kindness, and they awoke at peep of day, and bade one another good morning, each in his own language. In this manner, Bellerophon and the wondrous steed spent several days, and grew better acquainted and fonder of each other all the time. They went on long aerial journeys, and sometimes ascended so high that the earth looked hardly bigger than the moon. They visited distant countries, and amazed the inhabitants who thought that the beautiful young man on the back of the winged horse must have come down out of the sky. A thousand miles a day was no more than an easy space for the fleet Pegasus to pass over. Bellerophon was delighted with this kind of life, and would have liked nothing better than to live always in the same way, aloft in the clear atmosphere, 
for it was always sunny weather up there, however cheerless and rainy it might be in the lower region. But he could not forget the horrible chimera, which he had promised King Iabates to slay. So at last, when he had become well accustomed to feats of horsemanship in the air, and could manage Pegasus with the least motion of his hand, and had taught him to obey his voice, he determined to attempt the performance of this perilous adventure. At daybreak, therefore, as soon as he unclosed his eyes, he gently pinched the winged horse's ear in order to arouse him. Pegasus immediately started from the ground, and pranced about a quarter of a mile aloft, and made a grand sweep around the mountain-top, by way of showing that he was wide awake, and ready for any kind of an excursion. During the whole of this little flight, he uttered a loud, brisk, and melodious neigh, and finally came down at Bellerophon's side, as lightly as ever you saw a sparrow hop upon a twig. Well done, dear Pegasus! Well done, my sky-skimmer! cried Bellerophon, fondly stroking the horse's neck. And now, my fleet and beautiful friend, we must break our fast. Today we are to fight the terrible Chimera. As soon as they had eaten their morning meal, and drank some sparkling water from a spring called Hippocrene, Pegasus held out his head of his own accord, so that his master might put on the bridle. Then, with a great many playful leaps and airy caperings, he showed his impatience to be gone, while Bellerophon was girding on his sword, and hanging his shield about his neck, and preparing himself for battle. When everything was ready, the rider mounted, and, as was his custom when going a long distance, ascended five miles perpendicularly, so as the better to see whether he was directing his course. He then turned the head of Pegasus toward the east, and set out for Lycia. In their flight they overtook an eagle, and came so nigh him, before he could get out of their way, that Bellerophon might easily have caught him by the leg. Hastening onward at this rate, it was still early in the forenoon when they beheld the lofty mountains of Lycia, with their deep and shaggy valleys. If Bellerophon had been told truly, it was in one of those dismal valleys that the hideous Chimera had taken up its abode. Being now so near their journey's end, the winged horse gradually descended with his rider, and they took advantage of some clouds that were floating over the mountain-tops, in order to conceal themselves. Hovering on the upper surface of a cloud, and peeping over its edge, Bellerophon had a pretty distinct view of the mountainous part of Lycia, and could look into all its shadowy vales at once. At first there appeared to be nothing remarkable. It was a wild, savage, and rocky tract of high and precipitous hills. In the more level part of the country there were the ruins of houses that had been burnt, and here and there the carcasses of dead cattle, strewn about the pastures where they had been feeding. 
The chimera must have done this mischief, thought Bellerophon. But where can the monster be? As I have already said, there was nothing remarkable to be detected, at first sight, in any of the valleys and dells that lay among the precipitous heights of the mountains. Nothing at all, unless indeed it were three spires of black smoke, which issued from what seemed to be the mouth of a cavern, and clambered sullenly into the atmosphere. Before reaching the mountain top, these three black smoke wreaths mingled themselves into one. The cavern was almost directly beneath the winged horse and his rider, at the distance of about a thousand feet. The smoke, as it crept heavily upward, had an ugly, sulfurous, stifling scent, which caused Pegasus to snort and Bellerophon to sneeze. So disagreeable was it to the marvelous steed, who was accustomed to breathe only the purest air, that he waved his wings and shot half a mile out of the range of this offensive vapor. But on looking behind him, Bellerophon saw something that induced him first to draw the bridle and then to turn Pegasus about. He made a sign which the winged horse understood and sunk slowly through the air until his hoofs were scarcely more than a man's height above the rocky bottom of the valley. In front, as far off as you could throw a stone, was the cavern's mouth, with the three smoke wreaths oozing out of it. And what else did Bellerophon behold there? There seemed to be a heap of strange and terrible creatures curled up within the cavern. Their bodies lay so close together that Bellerophon could not distinguish them apart. But, judging by their heads, one of these creatures was a huge snake, the second a fierce lion, and the third an ugly goat. The lion and the goat were asleep. The snake was broad awake and kept staring around him with a great pair of fiery eyes. But, and this was the most wonderful part of the matter, the three spires of smoke evidently issued from the nostrils of these three heads. So strange was the spectacle that, though Bellerophon had been all along expecting it, the truth did not immediately occur to him that here was the terrible three-headed chimera. He had found out the chimera's cavern. The snake, the lion, and the goat, as he supposed them to be, were not three separate creatures, but one monster. The wicked, hateful thing, slumbering as two-thirds of it were, it still held in its abominable claws the remnant of an unfortunate lamb, or possibly, but I hate to think so, it was a dear little boy, which its three mouths had been gnawing, before two of them fell asleep. All at once Bellerophon started as from a dream, and knew it to be the chimera. Pegasus seemed to know it at the same instant, and sent forth a neigh that sounded like the call of a trumpet to battle. At this sound the three heads reared themselves erect, and belched out great flashes of flame. 
before Bellerophon had time to consider what to do next. The monster flung itself out of the cavern and sprung straight toward him with its immense claws extended and its snaky tail twisting itself venomously behind. If Pegasus had not been as nimble as a bird, both he and his rider would have been overthrown by the chimera's headlong rush, and thus the battle have been ended before it was well begun. But the winged horse was not to be caught so. In the twinkling of an eye he was up aloft, halfway to the clouds, but with utter disgust at the loathsomeness of this poisonous thing with three heads. The chimera, on the other hand, raised itself up so as to stand absolutely on the tip end of its tail, with its talons pawing fiercely in the air, and its three heads sputtering fire at Pegasus and his rider. My stars how it roared and hissed and bellowed! Bellerophon, meanwhile, was fitting his shield on his arm and drawing his sword. Now, my beloved Pegasus, he whispered in the winged horse's ear, thou must help me to slay this insufferable monster, or else thou shalt fly back to thy solitary mountain peak without thy friend Bellerophon. For either the chimera dies, or its three mouths shall gnaw this head of mine, which has slumbered upon thy neck. Pegasus whinnied, and turning back his head, rubbed his nose tenderly against his rider's cheek. It was his way of telling him that, though he had wings and was an immortal horse, yet he would perish, if it were possible for immortality to perish, rather than leave Bellerophon behind. I thank you, Pegasus, answered Bellerophon. Now then, let us make a dash at the monster. Uttering these words, he shook the bridle, and Pegasus darted down a slant, as swift as the flight of an arrow, right toward the chimera's threefold head, which, all this time, was poking itself as high as it could into the air. As he came within arm's length, Bellerophon made a cut at the monster, but was carried onward by his steed, before he could see whether the blow had been successful. Pegasus continued his course, but soon wheeled round at about the same distance from the chimera as before. Bellerophon then perceived that he had cut the goat's head of the monster almost off, so that it dangled downward by the skin, and seemed quite dead. But to make amends, the snake's head and the lion's head had taken all the fierceness of the dead one into themselves, and spit flame and hissed, and roared, with a vast deal more fury than before. "'Never mind, my brave Pegasus,' cried Bellerophon. "'With another stroke like that, we will stop either its hissing or its roaring.' And again he shook the bridle. Dashing aslantwise as before, the winged horse made another arrow-flight toward the chimera, and Bellerophon aimed another downright stroke at one of the two remaining heads, as he shot by. But this time neither he nor Pegasus escaped so well as at first. With one of its claws 
the chimera had given the young man a deep scratch in his shoulder and had slightly damaged the left wing of the flying steed with the other on his part bellerophon had mortally wounded the lion's head of the monster insomuch that it now hung downward with its fire almost extinguished and sending out gasps of thick black smoke the snake's head however which was the only one now left was twice as fierce and venomous as ever before it belched forth shoots of fire five hundred yards long and emitted hisses so loud so harsh and so ear-piercing that king iabates heard them fifty miles off and trembled till the throne shook under him well a day thought the poor king the chimera is certainly coming to devour me meanwhile pegasus had again paused in the air and neighed angrily while sparkles of a pure crystal flame darted out of his eyes how unlike the lurid fire of the chimera the aerial steed's spirit was all aroused and so was that of bellerophon dost thou bleed my immortal horse cried the young man caring less for his own hurt than for the anguish of this glorious creature that ought never to have tasted pain the execrable chimera shall pay for this mischief with his last head then he shook the bridle shouted loudly and guided pegasus not aslantwise as before but straight at the monster's hideous front so rapid was the onset that it seemed but a dazzle and a flash before bellerophon was at close grips with his enemy the chimera by this time after losing its second head had got into a red-hot passion of pain and rampant rage it so flounced about half on earth and partly in the air that it was impossible to say which element it rested upon it opened its snake jaws to such an abominable width that pegasus might almost i was going to say have flown right down its throat wings outspread rider and all at their approach it shot out a tremendous blast of its fiery breath and enveloped bellerophon and his steed in a perfect atmosphere of flame singeing the wings of pegasus scorching off one whole side of the young man's golden ringlets and making them both far hotter than was comfortable from head to foot but this was nothing to what followed when the airy rush of the winged horse had brought him within the distance of a hundred yards the chimera gave a spring and flung its huge awkward venomous and utterly detestable carcass right upon poor pegasus clung round him with might and mane and tied up its snaky tail into a knot up flew the aerial steed higher 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 above the mountain peak above the clouds almost out of sight of the solid earth but still the earth-born monster kept its hold and was borne upward along with the creature of light and air bellerophon meanwhile 
turning about, found himself face to face with the ugly grimness of the chimera's visage, and could only avoid being scorched to death, or bitten right in twain, by holding up his shield. Over the upper edge of the shield, he looked sternly into the savage eyes of the monster. But the chimera was so mad and wild with pain, that it did not guard itself so well as might else have been the case. Perhaps, after all, the best way to fight a chimera is by getting as close to it as you can. In its efforts to stick its horrible iron claws into its enemy, the creature left its own breast quite exposed, and, perceiving this, Bellerophon thrust his sword up to the hilt into its cruel heart. Immediately the snaky tail untied its knot. The monster let go its hold of Pegasus and fell from that vast height downward, while the fire within its bosom, instead of being put out, burned fiercer than ever and quickly began to consume the dead carcass. Thus it fell out of the sky all aflame, and, it being nightfall before it reached the earth, was mistaken for a shooting star or a comet. But at early sunrise some cottagers were going to their day's labor, and saw to their astonishment that several acres of ground were strewn with black ashes. In the middle of a field there was a heap of whitened bones, a great deal higher than a haystack. Nothing else was ever seen of the dreadful chimera and when Bellerophon had won the victory, he bent forward and kissed Pegasus, while the tears stood in his eyes. "'Back now, my beloved steed,' said he, "'back to the fountain of Pirini.' Pegasus skimmed through the air, quicker than ever he did before, and reached the fountain in a very short time. And there he found the old man, leaning on his staff, and a country fellow watering his cow, and a pretty maiden filling her pitcher. "'I remember now,' quoth the old man, "'I saw this winged horse once before, when I was quite a lad. But he was ten times handsomer in those days.' "'I own a cart-horse worth three of him,' said the country fellow. "'If this pony were mine, the first thing I should do would be to clip his wings.' But the poor maiden said nothing, for she had always the luck to be afraid at the wrong time. So she ran away, and let her pitcher tumble down, and broke it. "'Where is the gentle child?' asked Bellerophon, who used to keep me company, and never lost his faith, and never was weary of gazing into the fountain. "'Here am I, dear Bellerophon,' said the child, softly for the little boy had spent day after day on the margin of Perini, waiting for his friend to come back, and when he perceived Bellerophon descending through the clouds, mounted on the winged horse, he had shrunk back into the shrubbery. He was a delicate and tender child, and dreaded lest the old man and the country fellow should see the tears gushing from his eyes. Thou hast won the victory, said he, joyfully, running to the knee of Bellerophon, 
who still sat on the back of Pegasus. I knew thou wouldst. Yes, dear child, replied Bellerophon, alighting from the winged horse. But if thy faith had not helped me, I should never have waited for Pegasus, and never have gone up above the clouds, and never have conquered the terrible Chimera. Thou, my beloved little friend, hast done it all, and now let us give Pegasus his liberty. So he slipped off the enchanted bridle from the head of the marvellous steed. Be free forevermore, my Pegasus, cried he, with a shade of sadness in his tone. Be as free as thou art fleet. But Pegasus rested his head on Bellerophon's shoulder, and would not be persuaded to take flight. Well then, said Bellerophon, caressing the airy horse, thou shalt be with me as long as thou wilt, and we will go together forthwith, and tell King Iabates that the Chimera is destroyed. Then Bellerophon embraced the gentle child, and promised to come to him again, and departed. But in after years that child took higher flights upon the aerial steed than ever did Bellerophon, and achieved more honorable deeds than his friend's victory over the Chimera. For gentle and tender as he was, he grew to be a mighty poet. End of section 7